Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Hello, everybody. I'm David Fortney, and welcome to another edition of the DC Insider Employer Update podcast. Nita, it's great to have you here again today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, David. I'm looking forward to our session here. Well, I am too, and I think that's going to be really exciting, and I'm so glad you've got our friends from Providence Healthcare Give us a sense as to what we're going to be talking about today. Well, we're very excited to have Denise Bowen, who is Vice President of HR Strategy and Solutions, and Brittany Fisher, Providence's Executive Director, Affirmative Action and Caregiver, DEI. So, Nita, I'm really excited about the discussion you're going to have with these team members from Providence. So, let me throw it over to you. Thanks, David. I'm so excited to welcome my guest from Providence, Denise Bowen. Vice President, HR Strategy and Solutions. Hello, Denise. Hi, Nita. We're so thrilled to be here today. Thanks for having us. And Brittany Fisher, Providence Executive Director, Affirmative Action and Caregiver, DEI. Welcome, Brittany. Hello. It's nice to chat with you again, Nita. Thanks for having us. We're very excited to have this conversation with you two today because Providence, which is the third largest healthcare company in the United States and was the location of the first diagnosed COVID-19 patient, has worked very hard to keep its employees, which at Providence are known as caregivers, engaged and informed during the pandemic. It's amazing to me, you all had 120,000 caregivers in 52 hospitals, over a thousand clinics and other health and social services in Alaska, California, Montana, New Mexico, Oregon, Texas, and Washington State. That's amazing. And we're gonna start with you, Denise. So how did you get involved in the process at the beginning of the pandemic? Thanks, Nita. So at Providence, um, we had the great fortune, I will say, of having the first COVID patient in our hospitals in Everett back in January of 2020, which seems like a lifetime ago. And one of the things I love about Providence is that um, we were founded by pioneering women. And I think much of that really came through as we came upon COVID and really leaned into kind of that pioneer, innovative and collaborative spirit. And so at the very beginning, it was all hands on deck. Everyone jumped in from our clinical experts to our administrative caregivers to really say, what can we do and how can we lean in um, doing everything we would normally do? And then also with um, PPE, personal protective equipment shortages, our admin caregivers jumping in to start making um, that PPE when some of the supplies started running low. And so really jumping in to help. And then for us on the administrative side, in addition to jumping in to help with PP&E and other initiatives to really ensure that our frontline caregivers were able to be at their best. We also transitioned across our seven states and even in our global center in India to working virtually in many cases. And so for us, it was not only about the safety and enablement of our administrative caregivers, but it was also a way for us to stand in solidarity with our frontline caregivers so that we weren't adding additional patients that they would be taking care of um, or taking away from that critical back-end support. 
board. And so for us, it was really important that we thought about what are we doing in partnership with those on the front line and how can we help and what does that mean for administrative caregivers? Denise, that's amazing. And Brittany, I'd like to turn to you. I know Providence had re-engaged its DE&I program right before the pandemic. How were you able to utilize the team, your caregiver DE&I team, during the pandemic to help those caregivers? Sure. Well, as Denise mentioned, you know, we had a really collaborative response from our organization. And because of that pioneering teamwork spirit she referenced, we were able to enable our virtual workforce quickly. Looking back, I'm so thankful that we had Microsoft Teams uh, rolled out in the summer of 2019 because we were well positioned to pivot to virtual space, even though, you know, our honestly, our caregivers weren't that excited about using Teams when we first had it uh, presented to us. But, you know, we, we were forced to adopt quickly through the pandemic. And so having that technology in place allowed us to move our diversity, equity and inclusion events to the virtual space. And, you know, actually, in some ways, it propelled those efforts to move more quickly because then our caregiver resource groups from across our seven state footprint actually came together and developed system wide events that were able to reach a broader spectrum of our workforce than prior to the pandemic, where our events were really locally focused and in person. So because of that, and of course, the death of George Floyd, the DEI efforts certainly uh, elevated. Denise, Brittany mentioned, and I think a lot of employers found out that not all the employees are ready to work at home, especially at the drop of the hat. What were some of the things that you did to support your caregivers, the ones that were working from home? Absolutely, Nita. And I'd say one of the things that we did that I think is so important, especially when you think about that DEI lens, is we said not everyone can work virtually from home. And so from the beginning of the pandemic in through to our future model, we have always set aside space for our caregivers to come in and be able to safely work on site. Because some people just simply weren't in a place in their living situation that allowed them to be engaged and safe and enabled working from home. And so that's been an important tenet of our work. The other thing that we focused a lot on, and it was really kind of that broad safety and enablement term, um, kind of term, and how are we thinking about first and foremost health and well-being? So even from the beginning, what are we doing to support kind of mental health, having a stressometer, uh, no one cares alone campaign, uh, different resources around how do you support your kids that you're trying to help at home? I had a kindergartner when we went into this pandemic, and so trying to um, support a virtual learner who can't yet read is um, challenging. And what does that mean for your work schedule? And as Brittany mentioned, you know, how are we connecting in with those caregiver resource groups? So we're providing that community of support around one another. And then we did other things like virtual ergonomic assessments. So gosh, you're now at home and maybe you thought it was okay for a couple weeks to work at your kitchen table. Well, that's not really a long-term opportunity that's going to set you up for success. And so making sure that we could enable folks to do that and be set up for success at home. Home, and then providing technology stipends. We knew that some folks, you know, hadn't planned to work <laughs> with the bandwidth they needed to run teams with video so we could stay connected visually as well as um, connecting verbally. And so making sure that people had that monthly stipend that could support them with that. And then I think the other thing that was really important for us in supporting 
our caregivers is, you know, as Brittany mentioned, Teams and Office 365 was new, and most of us hadn't done a ton of virtual connecting, or at least if we'd done it, maybe not as well as we would like to. And so we set up a number of workshops and learning series, both for our core leaders, so our people managers, as well as our caregivers, our employees to say, what does it mean to work virtually? How do you set yourself up for success? How do you create an engaged team? How do you keep an eye on mental health and well-being, especially as all of us are in these back-to-back Zoom or Teams meetings and making sure that that blurred line between life and home, you've got some appropriate boundaries in place. And so it was really a robust package of tools and skill set building and kind of tip sheets to really ensure that people had what they needed when they needed to be successful working virtually. Well, Brittany, how did you use your ERGs to support the caregivers that were working from home, as well as the ones that were in the hospitals and the clinics? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I think it's important that we think about how do we enable our core leaders, which are the sort of link to those caregivers, right? And so uh, one of the things we did was, um, and actually Denise and I just came from a meeting where we were talking about this, we're getting ready to roll out our core leader resources, and we're starting to think about return to work or return to virtual work or this next model, right, that we're about to sort of embark on. And one of the things that uh, was great was we were able to take the advanced copies of those materials, those core leader resources and playbooks and the things that are being developed by our change management team and run those through our caregiver resource groups, our chief diversity officers in the regions, and really get that DEI lens and feedback about how can we be thinking about those diverse caregivers as we're looking to a virtual work model. So that's one way we did it. We also just early on in the pandemic uh, through our caregiver resource group meetings and the CRG, we call them CRGs because we're, we're caregiver resource groups, right? The CRG coordinator actually reports to me. And so we were able to go to those CRGs and find out what additional challenges do our diverse populations have in this virtual model. And we were able to provide that feedback loop up through our executive team. And in fact, you know, right after the murder of George Floyd, one of our caregiver resource group forums that was across the system for all of those CRG leaders to come to, we invited Greg Till, our chief people officer, and Mike Moreland, who's one of our senior vice presidents over our field HR team, to come and just listen directly to that feedback from those caregivers in that CRG, you know, sort of um, forum. So they could hear, you know, the challenges that they were having working virtually in the pandemic. And so we were able to use that feedback to fine tune our model. That's excellent. Well, Brittany, you just turned us from uh, what you all did during the pandemic to return to work, because I think a lot of us are starting to see that return to work. And so, Denise, I'm going to turn back to you. Now that employers are starting to return to the offices, what are you, Providence, planning to do with your caregivers as they start to The ones, obviously, you had frontline people who've been there the whole time. But for those who've been working from home, how are you all planning on handling that? Yeah, thanks, Nita. And I'll take us back a little bit. For us, this journey really started over a year ago. (laughs) And first and foremost, you know, I mentioned we started early on on safety and enablement. What are we doing with and for our caregivers to help them in the near term? And then we quickly pivoted to what does our future model look like? And for us, you know, it's so important that we build something that is both with 
and for our caregivers. And so we started first and foremost with focus groups. We connected with our leaders, we connected with our core leaders, we connected with our caregivers and really talked to them about, you know, what is working, what isn't working, what are your hopes for the future, and really brought that together along with external research. And that's how we landed on a hybrid model. And so we landed that last July with our senior leaders and really got everyone rallied around that. And then what we did is we took that and said, okay, you know, let's look at what our future workforce strategy looks like. And how does that, you know, it's not a one size fits all. We know that there's kind of some general system direction and then there's business and team nuances. And so how do we take this hybrid model and apply it to those workforce strategies? And then we did a role by role assessment with our leaders to say, okay, where do you fit? And based on the work, not on personal preferences, but based on the work, what do you think these roles should be in terms of predominantly on site? Maybe there's regulatory or other reasons that require them to be more on site. Or are they hybrid where people are coming on site one to three days a week, really focusing that on-site time on connection, community building, sacred encounters that really need to be in person. And then where do we have roles that maybe could be predominantly virtual and you're coming in a few times a month for those key connection meetings, but most of your work can be done successfully virtually. And so that's really how we started is really connecting and saying, okay, we're landing on the hybrid model based on our internal and external research. Let's align that to our workforce strategies. And then let's do that role by role assessment. And then what we've done is we've continued throughout this to really stay connected with our um, caregivers to get that ongoing feedback. And so as we look ahead, we are starting a slow return, like I know many are, where we're going to ease into this. We started um, based on, and we're across seven states, so we're constantly monitoring what are those state and local guidelines and trying to keep up with that, which is different across our different states. But starting in May, we started to slowly open a couple conference rooms. How might we do that? Starting in early July, we're going to open more of our conference rooms so people can start connecting in person with their teams and also beginning to conduct some more in-depth pilots. We're wanting to be thoughtful in this approach and not just jump in and assume that what we think in theory is going to be what plays out in practice. And so really providing opportunities to test and ease into this and with all of it, um, learning as we go, iterating and really ensuring that our caregiver experience is at the center of everything we do. So we're we're getting ready, as, as Brittany mentioned, we're rolling out some resources and really ensuring that this is an engaging and inspiring experience, knowing that people have been gone for 15 months and we need to ease them into the return. Well, it's interesting you say that, Denise, because I've been seeing some articles. I guess my question for you is how have your leaders responded? You've probably seen the same articles I have where certain leaders in not necessarily your organization, but in other organizations really are ready for everybody to come back and what's this hybrid stuff? Why are people working from home? And how have you done that evaluation with your leaders to make sure they're on board? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's always an ongoing conversation, right? Because you have kind of what does the work require? And then what are the personal preferences? And some people are like, virtual is great. And others are saying, well, gosh, you know, I really want to be in person. I just miss being around people. And so for us, you know, we've really taken that methodical approach. And I think, again, leading with that caregiver experience and feedback, having the focus groups, not only did we do those in the beginning, but we've had, we even did 10 in April and May to say, what are your 
hopes for the future? What are your concerns? And really sharing with that with our leaders so that we can truly have that aligned perspective that it is, what does the work require? And what is that flexible, modern, collaborative experience? I think the other thing that you're probably seeing, Nita, that I'm, I'm seeing too, is some folks are starting to say, we want everyone back in the office. And some employees are saying, I don't know if that's what I want to do. I really like the flexibility that I have. And some of the stats I've seen are upwards of 50% of employees might consider alternative uh, roles at other companies if they're not afforded the flexibility that they've come to appreciate during the pandemic. So I think the key for us is really showing with our, our leaders, and many of them are just on board, they, they've, they've seen what's working, but sharing with them what we're hearing from our caregivers, so it's a caregiver-led decision, and then also ensuring that we're reinforcing that this flexible model is not just a nice to have anymore, it's really a, a table stake, especially in such a tight talent market where we're constantly competing for the right talent. And if we want to continue to get the right talent that we need to stay as innovators, as Providence, we have to provide this flexibility. So that's been a big part of our conversation. Yeah, I would just like to add that, um, you know, one of the things that we uh, did very early on in the pandemic that shows the attention to our caregivers and our focus on their safety is that, you know, our thoughts about bringing our administrative workforce home were really around protecting our clinical caregivers because they were on the front lines battling COVID. And so, you know, our administrative caregivers were actually getting COVID and we did not want those administrative caregivers to be infecting our clinical caregivers who are on the front lines of battling this pandemic. And so, you know, through the whole process, really our ear has been to the ground with those caregivers trying to determine what those needs are and really how can we create the best place to work. And so, as Denise mentioned, we continue to have those focus groups. And one of the things that I, I know I referenced this before this meeting we just came from, but we just had an update on this work. And now we're starting to create our workstations and having pilots around the organization where our caregivers can come in and test those out and provide feedback. And so that'll be another area that we'll be engaging my team so that our team can provide that DEI lens around this new model that we'll have in the workplace uh, as well as, you know, virtually. And, and that virtual work is really not just at home, but from wherever the caregiver can best work. That's really helpful because that gives us an idea uh, of what the DEI lens moving forward at Providence is. So, Denise, I'm going to let you have the last word here. So, I thought the most interesting thing that we talked about was that your engagement scores actually improved during the pandemic. Do you like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and that was probably one of the most astonishing things to us, too. <laughs> I think we were pleasantly excited. And so we have our annual caregiver surveys, so our annual um, employee survey. And what we saw is that our year-over-year um, -year scores for that same population, so we're able to narrow down those caregivers that are virtual and compare this year to the year before. And we had a, an improvement of seven points in our in sustainable engagement score, which is 
astronomical. If you talk to my boss, our chief people officer, he's never seen that in his 25 plus careers. And so it's really incredible to see that. Not only did we see that seven point increase, we also saw a statistically significant improvement in 14 of our 17 categories. And the other three were um, remained equal. And so really we saw that not only is this um, seemingly good anecdotally in what we're hearing, but the data actually backs it up. And then as we've begun to do kind of our quarterly trend survey, we're seeing that those gains are continuing to hold and in some cases continuing to improve, which really is a great reinforcement for us that what we're doing is the start of something that is incredible for our caregivers. They're appreciating the flexibility. They're excited to have that opportunity for connection as we begin to bring them back. And it's really an incredible opportunity for us from an overall experience lens. And so, you know, that's what's important to us, you know, as well as what Brittany called out around kind of the inclusion piece. Um, I, I really think that an inclusive, modern collaborative experience is so much a part of what we're doing with this virtual work strategy. And so I think this is just the beginning as we think about the future of work, workforce and workplace. And we're really excited about where we're headed at Providence. Wow, Denise and Brittany, that was amazing amount of information. You all have done so much great stuff and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you so much, Nita, for having us. And, you know, truly, this is a reflective of the many gifts and talents of so many across Providence. So Brittany and I feel blessed to be able to represent this. Um, but this is definitely the work of so many. And we're very thankful for everyone who's contributed to this incredible vision and how we're designing and rolling out this virtual work strategy. Agreed. Thank you for having us today. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. And it's always fun to talk about the great work that Providence is doing. Denise and Brittany. I look forward to hearing how you all are doing moving forward, and we'll have you back to hear more about Providence. David? Wow, Nita, thanks so much for that discussion uh, with Denise and Brittany. I really learned a ton, and I'm sure our listeners did too, both on COVID and particularly with respect to all the challenges that uh, this team has faced in responding to COVID. I think the most interesting thing, David, though, was how they turned what could have been a disaster into a, an opportunity to learn and to move forward with new approaches to work. I think that's amazing. I agree. And we're privileged to have had the benefit of learning those lessons and for them to share with all of us. Well, listen, in that same spirit of sharing, next podcast, we've got some other subject matter experts joining us, this time from the Fortney Scott team. We're going to have Consuela Pinto, and we're getting Bert back in the seat again, Bert Fishman back in the seat. And we're going to discuss a really challenging issue for employers dealing with disclosure of employer pay, pay transparency, compelled disclosure, government reporting. So we've got a ton of issues there that we know many, many employers are facing nationwide. So please join us for that. And don't forget to subscribe to hear this and all of our other DC Insider podcasts. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.